Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. Welcome. My next guest, Mallory Whitmore, may be better known to some of you as the formula mom. She is a certified infant feeding technician, which means that she helps new parents make feeding decisions uh, for their newborns. This obviously is something that a lot of us started paying attention to, even those of us who don't have children, uh, in light of the recent formula shortage, which I think gave rise to a lot of interesting questions about how we get our food and the things that sustain and nourish all of us. Uh, But in any event, uh, Mallory and I talked a bit about that. We also talked about what drew her to this work in the first place and her work and her life as a new mother and frankly, um, how some folks out there make it tough uh, for new parents. Mallory's work really is geared toward providing support and resources and information and knowledge to new parents. And she's here with us today to share some of that. Here I am with Mallory Whitmore, the Formula Mom. Welcome to the podcast, Mallory Whitmore a certified infant feeding technician, the formula mom. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. What is a certified infant feeding technician? Yeah, that's a great question. So infant feeding techs typically work in the hospital setting in coordination with pediatricians and dietitians to make sure that infants that are in the hospital, either because they were just born or because they're in the NICU, receive the appropriate feeding that they need, whether that's formula, human milk, or tube feeding. So I obviously do not work in the hospital setting. I have taken that role and used it to create an educational platform for folks on Instagram and on my website, but typically the role is hospital-based. You've helped so many people, so many parents get through this formula shortage. Before we talk about that, maybe you can help me understand, Mallory, how on earth in the United States of America do we only have one major producer of this formula so that when Mm -hmm. something happens to that one major producer millions of babies are in jeopardy of not eating. How in the heck does that happen? I don't quite understand. Yeah, so obviously the shortages that we're seeing right now are multifactorial. A lot of it is related to the shutdown of the Abbott plant in Michigan that you referenced. Obviously we have COVID-related supply chain issues and things like that. I think your question about how did we end up so concentrated is an important one. It's really hard for new entrants to come into the market because it is very costly and it takes a lot of time. And that's largely due to the FDA guidelines and regulations that are put in place. And those guidelines are there for a reason. We wanna make sure that infants stay safe. We wanna make sure that we're not willy nilly about how new formula companies are getting approved. But when it takes a company roughly five years of research and development and $70 million, which is the number that the most recent new entrant to the market spent, it's just really difficult. It's really difficult to encourage folks to come into the market. And then you also have this issue with WIC contracts. So a lot of parents don't know that roughly 50% of the infants born in the United States qualify for WIC assistance, which is supplementary nutrition assistance for families that are lower income and have a child under the age of five. These WIC contracts are basically bid on by these larger manufacturers 
And each state contracts with one single manufacturer. So I'm in Tennessee. Our contracted manufacturer is Similac. That means that roughly 50% of the infants born in Tennessee are grandfathered in to a Similac um, contract via WIC. And so there's just not as many families that these newer, smaller companies can compete for because so many are spoken for through WIC. So that makes it, there's not a lot of incentive there for other companies to get involved. And it's just so costly to do so. The high barriers to entry seem to me to be particularly important because if you're looking down the road and kind of trying to anticipate how you would mitigate against something like this happening again, it seems that the best way is to have more manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Like we should have more infant baby formula producers right here in the United States. Mm -hmm. But you've explained, and I think really given me a little bit of an education about why that's not the case. $70 million to start a company Mm -hmm. is going to uh, be off-putting to almost anyone. Um, What do you think about the fact, I think this week it was reported that the FDA is going Mm -hmm. to open up American market uh, is going to open up the United States to foreign formula Mm -hmm. suppliers. Uh, What do you think about that Mm -hmm. idea? Generally speaking, I think it's a good tangible step that we can take to diversify the market, make it not so concentrated at the top, try to protect against something like this happening again, where you have one manufacturer impacted and it takes a huge portion of product off the shelves. My only concern about it is just uh, what happens to our smaller domestic manufacturers that were already, you know, trying to get a very small amount of market share in a very highly dominated industry, as well as those smaller companies whose prices reflect the R&D required to go through the FDA's traditional process that these foreign manufacturers have been able to skirt in a way, Um, and not that they're letting them come in without the same safety checks, but they've basically fast-tracked them in, allowed them to establish retail partners, allowed them to use ingredients and have different labeling requirements that they have never allowed U.S. manufacturers to do. And so that's my concern is, while it's great that we're diversifying, are we doing enough to protect the innovation that we have at home? Is it going to further disincentivize U.S. companies from trying to compete. Well, it does sound like there's that very real risk. If Mm -hmm. uh, you are lessening the burden on foreign manufacturers, Mm -hmm. then the burdens on domestic manufacturers, then the domestic manufacturers are at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more, Mallory, about what you do. We've kind of touched upon, at least in part, Mm -hmm. uh, how and why this happened, but you have helped so many people get through this crisis. Um, I think that for a lot of us, especially those of us without children, you might not really be able to get your head around the fear of not being able to feed your baby because there's no food on the shelf. Uh, How have you helped parents navigate the shortage? Yeah, it's been really, really difficult and really stressful for a lot of families. You mentioned just that innate desire to be able to provide for your your child and what it feels like if you can't do that. It's really heartbreaking. 
a lot of the work that I've been doing has been around education, just helping parents understand what are the ingredients in the formula that they have been using and what other formulas might they be able to find that are similar that their baby should be able to tolerate helping parents understand what other options might exist either through importation or via the toddler formula route. Some toddler formulas actually are nutritionally appropriate for infants. So that's a good, a, a good potential option for some people. And then I also created a formula exchange board where folks can basically go in, find the formula that they're looking for and connect with other parents across the country who might have access to it, either because they have extra or samples or because their local Target or Kroger is stocking it and allowing folks to connect that way so that they can help one another out so that we can try to eliminate some of the stress. But even so, I mean, that's a lot to ask of, you know, your fellow parents to go to their Kroger and go to the post office and send it to you and hope that it doesn't get damaged in shipment. I wish that sort of thing isn't what we were forced to do right now, but it has been great to see parents sort of coming together to support one another in that way. Well, it does show you, I mean, people really will come together and have each other's backs in a crisis. And that's mm-hmm. clearly what this is. What are your recommendations to people? So let's just say that, uh, you know, there's somebody out there listening now, I'm sure, who is still having this problem because the, the shortage, there's some relief, right? Mm-hmm. But we're not out of the woods just yet. Yeah. What are your recommendations to families who are having a hard time finding formula? What should they do? First and foremost, contact their pediatrician. See if their pediatrician either has any remaining samples or if they have any sort of relationship with local pharmacies that might have more stocks sort of off the beaten path. After folks have connected with their pediatrician, it seems to me, and based on what I'm hearing from parents, that online retailers tend to be having more stock than in person. And it's especially crucial because those families that are on WIC benefits are not able to purchase online. They rely on those in-person stock options. And so if you're able to purchase online, you tend to have more stock available either via Amazon or these individual retailer or manufacturer websites. After that, I'm telling Uh, parents to consider store brand formulas. Store brand formulas are just as nutritionally appropriate as name name brand. They tend to be cheaper. And a lot of folks don't realize it's the same recipe store to store. So Target's up and up brand gentle formula is actually the same recipe as Walmart's parent choice gentle formula. And so that gives you a wider number of retailers that you can look at for your specific formula just because they're, they're relabeled for each individual brand. Those are the big ones. And then just, again, Connect with the people in your neighborhood, connect with family members, connect with folks out of state, see what they have access to, and see if you can, can figure out that where, where, where it is that what you need may be. What are some of the things people shouldn't do? I mean, I've read that you know, some folks are trying to make the formula they have last longer by diluting mm-hmm. it. I, I, you're not supposed to do that. What are some of the big don'ts uh, for yeah. parents who are trying to deal with this shortage? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned a big one. Do not stretch your formula. Do not skip feedings for your baby and do not overly dilute the formula that can create electrolyte imbalances, which can be dangerous. Do not make your own formula. We've seen a huge increase, especially from older generations passing down sort of their grandmother's recipes for formula that's really highly discouraged just because number one, it's really difficult to get an appropriate nutrient balance uh, for all of the components. And then also number two, you're making formula in your, you know, house kitchen, which is not sterile. So you also run the risk of bacterial contamination. So don't cut your formula, don't skip feedings, don't do homemade formula. 
the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, has given some guidance around using whole milk if you really, really need to in a pinch if your child is over six months for oh, no more than a week. So don't use whole milk or whole goat's milk. Certainly don't use raw milk <laughs> if you're in a pinch unless you're in contact with your pediatrician and f- that's determined to be a stopgap measure for you. Mallory, you've been in this world for much longer uh, than uh, the period of time that we've all kind of been dealing with this mm-hmm. shortage. What drew you, or rather I know this because I read about you, but tell my listeners and viewers what inspired you to do all of this in the first place. Why are you the formula mom? Why was this issue important to you? Yeah, absolutely. So we have two children. Our daughter is going to be six in September, which is hard to believe. And like most Americans, I thought that I would breastfeed her. I went to the classes, you know, talked to my OB and the pediatrician and read the books and knew where to get support for that. And for a variety of reasons, it was not working for us after she was born. Health issues both on my end and her end made it really difficult. And so once I realized that that was not going to be part of our journey long-term, breastfeeding, I started looking for information about, okay, well, how do I formula feed successfully? And I could not find anything that felt like it was research-based, supportive, judgment-free. I couldn't find anything. And I was like, this is crazy. The CDC says that by six months, 75% of families have introduced formula in some capacity And the only thing on the internet I can find about using formula is don't do it. Don't do it. And so it was troubling to me. And I I thought, you know, three years later when we had our son, we decided to formula feed him from the start, that, that there would be more, that it would be better. It's been three years and there was still nothing. And so I decided if it's not out there, then maybe I can do it. And so here I am. That's how it got started. I was thinking before we started this conversation, you know, about the Abbott shutdown. I was like, gosh, there's only one factory. Maybe that should be my next professional venture <laughs> is it's not out there. Maybe we need to. Mm-hmm. And then you told me it was going to cost $70 million. <laughs> so um, yeah. I might have to take a pass. You built a really incredible platform and a resource for parents. I'm interested in what you mean when you said that you, in the course of looking for resources, it was hard for you to find something that was judgment-free. What did you mean, judgment? What did you mean by that? Yeah, so a lot of the mom-centered or parent-centered spaces on the internet are rife with a lot of negativity toward formula feeding, uh, both explicit and implicit. The idea that formula feeding is selfish, that parents who formula feed are lazy, that they don't care enough about their kids to breastfeed, that they are entitled, that they care more about what their body looks like. What than is the wrong new- with people, oh, Mallory? It's a mess. It's a mess. <laughs> what and is I, wrong with people? I know. And so, um, you know, a lot of folks already deal with a lot of guilt and shame if their breastfeeding journey doesn't go the way they want. They feel like they've failed or they feel like they aren't being able to do right by their child. And the last thing you need when you're in that space is to go looking for information and find even more shame and guilt. And so it was important to me to try to create a space that felt supportive of formula feeding as a valid feeding option, no matter how you land here, whether it's something you choose or something you have to do, 
that that's an okay way. It's a great way. It's a healthy way to feed a baby. And here's the information you need to know to do it safely and successfully. Just like I think it's hard for those of us without children to really understand the angst you'd feel about not being able to feed your child, I think that it's equally hard uh, for those of us to really get what that shame must feel like. I mean, I'm sitting here listening to you talk about the, like, what people levy toward people, you know, toward women um, who perhaps don't breastfeed either by choice or because they can't or for whatever reason. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's shocking to me that somebody else would get that invested oh, yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. uh, it, it's, it, and it also seems kind of mean. Oh, um, it is. Yeah, your absolutely. resource. So women, mothers, mm -hmm. people needed this platform. Mm -hmm. uh, good on you for seeing, yeah. for seeing a need. Thank you. It's what I needed. It. Yeah, How many, you created it for yourself and you ended yeah. up helping mm -hmm. lots and lots of other people yeah. in the process. You've done something wonderful. You've helped a lot of people by helping yourself. Are we out of the woods? Of this formula shortage, by the way, are we? Close? I don't. I don't know that we are. I, everybody hoped that we would be at this point. I just saw Politico has been a, doing a great job reporting what the in stock rates look like and what things are going, uh, how things are going in terms of at the retail level. And the in stock rate is still hovering around sixty percent, which is really, really low. It's really poor. And while we've had the White House and the uh, Defense, Department of Defense, bringing in all this imported formula from abroad, we're not seeing it yet on store shelves. And so we're still, there's a lot of areas in the country that are still just really, really strapped. And so originally the estimate was that, oh, maybe by November, this will be back to normal. I'm starting to feel like that's not likely. And that feels crazy because that's months from now. But the speed at which this is resolving has been so slow. I think it's going to be a good long time before we're back at a place that feels like a healthy, robust stock level. Well, in the meantime, uh, people can visit uh, your platform, The Formula Mom, where mm -hmm. it's just, it's at The Formula Mom, mm -hmm. right? Yes. At The Formula Mom. Visit mm -hmm. Mallory. Uh, she's advising so many parents about how to get through this crisis. Uh, Mallory, thank you for being here and good mm -hmm. luck to you and good luck thank to you. all the parents out there uh, who are trying to get what they need to their kids. Thanks, Mallory. Thank you. Thank you.